0: if you would stand for the reading of the Bible, Acts 13. We're going to read together verse number 22, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into the message and the theme for this year. Verse 22, everybody got it? Everybody ready? Here we go, ready? And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart." which shall fulfill all my will. The title of the sermon is the theme for our calendar year, A Heart for God. Let's pray this morning. God help us as we understand just a little bit deeper what it means to be in love with you, Lord, to have a heart that's given over totally to you, a heart that is in hot pursuit of you. And Lord, may this year we learn how to set aside the distractions of life, those things that Yank us and pull us away from that intimate connection that you want with us. Lord, help us to develop a heart that is uh, for you. I think of the church of Ephesus who had everything right doctrinally. And, Lord, they had everything right procedurally. But, God, they lacked one thing, and that was a, a deep love, a heart that was in love with you. Help us, Lord, to hit the reset button this year. Lord, some of us are further along the path and others with this, but all of us can improve. All of us can love you deeper. All of us can love you more. All of us can have our love refined. May that happen this calendar year. Help us to be faithful to church in the next twelve over the next 12 months. And Lord, over these next 12 months, may we feel a deeper connection, not only with you, but also with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the average cost of a heart transplant, including the need for immunosuppressant drugs after the surgery, is $864,700. Um, yet, the best heart transplant a man can receive cost him nothing, and this new heart that comes from the Lord will never fail. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'm wondering this morning, how many of us here today could use a spiritual heart transplant in 2022? A spiritual heart transplant. Transplant in 2022. Um, When we say a heart for God, what exactly are we talking about? Uh, Someone defined the spiritual heart this way. They said, heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is the part of our being where we desire, we deliberate, and we decide. It has been described as... The place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. It has been described as the comprehensive term for a person as a whole. His feelings, desires, passions, thoughts, understanding, and will. It has been described as the center of a person. The place to which God turns. Whoever you are on the inside, in that heart of yours... You can hide it for a little while, but eventually it's going to manifest itself in your lifestyle. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. Then this phrase, for out, for of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You can be evil on the inside and pretend to be righteous on the outside only for so long. You can be carnal on the inside and pretend to be spiritual on the outside only for so long. Eventually, who you are on the outside will reveal itself on, uh, rather, who you are on the inside will reveal itself on the outside. You see, if you want to please God with your life, then you must have a heart for God. You must be like a sponge. That is full and overflowing with a love and an admiration for Him that is rich and real. He must become your everything. He must become your everything. Many people have a heart for family. And so their life is given solely to their family. Many people have a heart for entertainment. And so when you speak to them and talk to them, it is clear that they have given their life to entertainment. Some have a heart for career advancement, and so their life is given to moving up in the business world, and that is the top priority of their heart. Some people have a heart for material things, and so their life is given over to accruing as many toys as they can, as many things as they can gather. They find their uh, status in what they have and not in who they are in Christ. Uh, Some have a heart to maintain a good self-image and heap upon themselves the love and acceptance of others so their life is given to doing whatever is necessary to gain the acceptance and admiration of others. And some have a heart to make money, get power, or even to be a good moral person, uh, or uh, uh, be a good uh, moral person with or without God's help. They worship morality more than they worship the God of, of morality they worship uh, being a good person more than they worship the one who is good god is good and instead of worshiping god they worship their own goodness they're worshiping their own ability to hold to a set of moral values what is it that is in your heart who is it that uh, you want in your heart i i have given a lot of thought to this obviously as i've been Mulling over this for months now. And one of the uh, realizations that I have come to is that the heart only has so much capacity to love. There's only so much capacity for your heart to love. The more we love things uh, other than God, the less room there is in our heart to love God. You all with me this morning? The more we love God, the less room there is for us to love things. Other than God. In preparation for the sermon in the year, I have asked myself this question. I have considered this question many times over the last handful of months. What is it that my heart longs for and loves? And so I uh, sat down and I put a list together of the things that I am, I would say, have my heart. And uh, I don't know that maybe this is the order that I want them to be in. I don't know that this is the order they actually are in. But here's what I wrote down. I put down that these things are in my, my personal heart. God and his holy word, my family, my church, myself, my employees, watching sports, being comfortable, eating good food, playing basketball all right? Electronics, especially Apple products. Amen. All right. Uh, I need the security guards to get ready. How many of you are Android fans? Okay. We're going to take you out of here. No, just kidding. Um, Why would you drive an Oldsmobile when you can drive a Lexus? I'm just saying, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, Electronics. I love tech. I do. I love tech. And um, uh, Brother Joe and I have a routine. Anytime there's an Apple product launch We get Colony Pizza, and we watch it in my office, and we have a great time doing that. That's something he and I enjoy together. Um, And then I put this at the very bottom of the list, and again, I'm just being honest with you and honest with myself, entertainment. There are some forms of entertainment that I enjoy and that have a part of my heart. Here's the reality. The more I love God and the more I love His Holy Word, the less time there are for things Uh, the less time there is for me to devote my admiration and attention to the things on the bottom of that list. Sports, right? watching it, playing it. Um, When I was a teenager, playing basketball was my life. I I played basketball eight to ten hours every day, even during school. I, I would get up early. I lived across the street from the school, and I would go over early, and I would unlock the gym and I would turn the lights on and I'd play basketball before school started. I played basketball during break time, 15-minute break. I played basketball. Uh, I'd scarf my lunch down and play basketball till the bell rang. I played basketball after school. I played basketball. I played JV and varsity ball. I played on both teams, and and then afterwards I would play until my legs were about to fall off. I'd go home, do homework till 10 o'clock at night, and I'd go to bed. And I went to a team camp, and uh, the pastor preached about idols in your life and things that are elevated above God. And boy, the Lord really worked on me that playing basketball had. Way too much of my heart. As I got older, playing basketball became less of a priority, and watching sports became more of a priority. And I love, I still to this day love watching sports. In fact, uh, full disclosure, I'll probably go home this afternoon and I'll watch a football game and I'll put my feet up and watch a football game. I love watching sports, but uh, as I have grown older and my love for God has grown deeper and stronger, I'm going to tell you, I've become a little less passionate about watching sports. little less passionate about watching sports. Uh, Matthew sometimes will ask me, who played in this championship game last year? And I'll go, uh, if there was a day in time where if my sports team lost a big game, I would be in a foul mood for about three days. You know, I'm at a place now in my life when my night team loses, I can turn off the game and say, oh, well, and just go to bed. Whatever, whatever. That's not as important to me anymore as it used to be, unless the Steelers beat the Ravens, and I can't sleep for three days. Amen? That one, that one eats at me quite a bit. But other than that, I've, the Lord, pray for me. The Lord's working on me here. Now, you may not have sports in your heart. It might be something different for you. In fact, it probably is something different for you. But watch this. The more that God gets of your heart, the less time there is for these trivial things to clutter up your heart. Here's the reality. The more I love God and His Holy Word, the less time there is for me to devote to these things. The more time and attention I, I give to any item on this list, any item on this list, the less room there is for, uh, in my heart for God. Now, this is really fascinating. I, I don't want any of you to miss what I'm saying here, because I think that probably just went over most of your heads. When I love God, there is still time for my family and church there's plenty of time for those other things, that are my employees, right? Uh, or co-laborers, co-workers, if you're not a boss. There's plenty of time for those other things when God has the first place. The, what gets bumped off the bottom of the list is the bottom, the things that are less, uh, that are more trivial. But watch this, though. When I start giving my heart to my family, all of a sudden, that jumps over God. When I start giving my heart even to church, and I'm not putting God first... Did you know that you can love church and not love God like you ought to? I'm speaking as a pastor here. There there are times over the last five years that I've been so devoted to White Oak Baptist Church, my own walk with God has at times not been where it's supposed to be. You know that any item on your list, whether God wants you to love it or not, any item on that list, when you start devoting your heart to it, automatically what happens is God takes a back seat. God takes a back seat. When you put God first, there's plenty of time for your marriage and your children and your grandchildren. When you put God first, there's plenty of time for you to be devoted at church and uh, the work of the church, the work of the Lord. When you are uh, uh, devoted to God, there's plenty of time for work and, and the heart, your heart that you have to give for your work, uh, your heart that you have to give to your employees. There's even a little bit of room left for some some things that are trivial. But when you put those other things first, all of a sudden God lands out of first place and boy that becomes a problem you see satan he doesn't necessarily want to pull you down with bad things he'll pull you down with good things he'll pull you down with good things he'll say to you no you, you need to love your family and we love our family but we're not where we ought to be with our with our walk with the lord well well i'm doing this for my, my i'm working overtime for my wife and my kids yes but you haven't read your bible in days You haven't prayed in in months. Other than, Lord, bless this food to my body, use it to strengthen me, amen. You haven't actually spent 20 to 30 minutes to an hour in prayer in months. What happens is God loses His place in our heart. And now we're guilty of not letting God have our heart. I propose that all of us need to take a close look at our heart. And decide that God is going to get all of us. We're going to give Him our heart on such a level that when He looks down on me or you, He gets a really big smile on His face and He says, That son of mine or that daughter of mine loves me more than anything or anyone else. That's my goal for me and you this, this calendar year. That our love for God grows so intense. We think of God and our heart flutters with love. Our heart flutters with affection because of how much we love God. This morning we're going to look at the two elements... To having a heart for God, and these point one and point two will give you uh, the the two main themes we'll be looking at in 2022 as we consider a heart for God. We're going to look at uh, we're going to be looking at the life of David and many of his writings this morning. God said that David was a man after or in pursuit of his own heart. Another way to put that was that David's heart was in pursuit, hot pursuit, of God's heart. Let me say that again. David's heart was in hot pursuit of God's heart. David wanted his heartbeat to match the heartbeat of God. Sometimes when I'm laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep, this is really goofy, I probably shouldn't share this, I'm going to share it anyway. Sometimes I'm laying in bed trying to fall asleep. I'm I'm laying there and Angela has fallen asleep and I'm listening to to her breathing pattern, her snoring, I mean breathing pattern. she doesn't snore. I'm, I'm just teasing. But I'm laying there and I'm trying to get my breathing to match her breathing. You know why? Because I want to be in unity with my wife. You say that's silly. That's dumb. Listen, God wants your heart to be in line with his heart. He wants your heart to be in line with his heart. He wants his heartbeat to be your heartbeat. He wants what's important to Him to be important to you. He wants what's passionate for Him to be passionate for you. He wants His mindset and His mentalities to be your mindset and your mentalities. He wants you to look up at Him and think, Oh, how I love my God. He is the delight of my soul. He wants you to get to a place where Bible reading goes from being a chore to being the greatest thing you do every day. He wants you to go from a place where prayer is drudgery and prayer is difficult, prayer is laborsome, and oh, i got to try to pray for five to ten minutes so that I can uh, uh, get this guilt trip pastor put on me off my back. No, he wants you to get to the place where praying is as natural as breathing is to your body. Boy, that's the goal this year. He wants you to get to the place where your church attendance isn't spotty and irregular. Your church attendance is as normal and natural as getting up in the morning and brushing your teeth or combing your hair. Going to church is just what we do because we have a heart for God. We'll be looking at this theme throughout 2022. We'll be looking in great detail about how we can have a heart heart for God. All right, let's jump in this morning. Notice point number one, my walk with God, my walk with God. We're going to have six sermon series on Sunday mornings throughout the year, and um, uh, we're going to break up those series. Three of them will fall under this category of my walk with God. The other three will fall under point number two here in a moment. Notice letter A. Notice my passions, my passions. Turn over to the 84th psalm with me this morning. We're going to be looking at several of the psalms this morning. And listen, I hope when you walk away from church this morning, one thing you realize is just how deeply in love David was with his God, how passionate he was about his God. David was passionate about God on such a level. He was able to take paper and pen. And he was able to write down uh, this passion in such a poetic way. That the Israelites would use his Passion toward God, his love for God, his heart for God as their songbook as the nation. Look at the 84th Psalm with me. We're going to read the entire thing here. I'll stop every few verses and and share some thoughts. Look here at verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out. For the living God. Has your heart ever craved something so bad that when you couldn't have it, you became affected on a physical level? You ever had that happen where you started to have physical pain because your heart wanted something so bad that you couldn't have it? How many of you here have ever missed your morning coffee and had a coffee headache? Uh huh. Yep. Physical withdrawals over something your heart loves and longs for. How many of you ever uh, said, you know what, I'm cutting out sugar for the next X amount of days, and you went through sugar withdrawals? You know what I'm talking about, sugar withdrawals? How about this one? How many of you have ever loved someone deeply and dearly and been used to being in their presence, and then all of a sudden, uh, maybe you moved or a relationship uh, ended or was strained, and you went through physical pain from separation anxiety? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Many of you moms know what that's like when you leave your babies in the church nursery. Amen? Separation anxiety. We talk about the babies having separation anxiety. I think moms have just as much separation anxiety. Um, uh, you go through physical hurt. Your heart hurts. And then you begin to have a headache. And uh, you feel gloomy and sad. Listen, David longed to be in the presence of God so much that his very flesh. Cried out to be there. Uh, he said, listen, I want to be in the presence of God. And my flesh is crying out and craving to know my God better. Look at verse number 3. It says, yea, the sparrow hath found in house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. E- even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Listen to the adoration in His voice. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee there's that word sila, which means think on that think about that how about that just as natural he says as it is for a sparrow and a swallow to have found a nest for them to turn into a home david says my home my heart's desire is to be at the altar down at the church house in the presence of my king and my god david adds that's where i am blessed That is where my whole being praises God. Look at verse number 5 with me. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God, of Jacob. Selah, behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. David was passionate about God and walked with God. Why? Because God was his strength and his shield. David found his physical and emotional strength by spending time in the presence of the very God who made him and loved him so. Look down at verse 10. David goes on and says, For a day in thy court, one day in thy courts, is better than a thousand. What's David saying? David said, I'd rather go to church one day, be in thy presence one day, than spend a thousand thousand days outside of it. He said, I'd rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tent of the wicked. Uh, rather, dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is, uh, as is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk up rightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. I don't think there's any question where David's passion lied. David was passionate about God. He was passionate about God. Where did this passion come from? Where did it come from? Can I tell you where it came from? David walked with God. David walked with God. David spent lots of time in the presence of God. Letter A, we see my passions. And we'll be breaking that down into four sermons over the next four weeks. Please be here. Letter B, notice my prayer life. My prayer life. We're talking about my walk with God. Let's take a moment and talk about my prayer life. Um, you ever gone on a long walk with someone that you love deeply and dearly? Uh, my whole life growing up in church, I've heard this phrase, walk with God. And it gets to the place where that phrase almost becomes cliche and it comes in one ear and goes out the other. What does it mean to walk with God? Sometimes it's good to stop and think about phrases we hear all the time. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of breezed through the hymnals this morning and hardly thought about what you were singing? Just words on the screen. Yep, saying this hymn a thousand times before. You, you, uh, pastor quotes a verse that you've heard before and are very familiar with or memorized and in one ear and out the other, right? We hear a phrase like it's good to be saved and we think, yeah, okay, yeah, it's good to be saved. Man, we stop and forget just what that means and what all that entails that we are saved. How about walking with God? How about that phrase, walk with God? I, Stop and think about that phrase, walk with God. And I realized that to walk with someone is to commune with them. Yes. To commune with them. Um, my very, very first date with, uh, with Angela, I asked her to sit with me in chapel in Bible college. And then we went to the dining hall and we ate uh, lunch. And then uh, after that, we walked around the pond there on the property of the college and as we we long walk long walk from the dining hall out to the pond and then around the pond and uh to me it couldn't have been uh it couldn't have been uh long enough I, i had such a great time getting to know this young lady who i was beginning at the very beginning of the stages of falling in love with and i communed with her you know what i did that day when i walked around the pond with angela is i talked to her and i listened to her and my heart communed with her heart. My heart, fellowshiped with her heart. Sometimes when you go on a long walk with someone that you know well, there might even be seasons of time where you're just walking side by side and not much is said. Not much is said. You know what's great about those kind of walks is you just enjoy being in the presence of one another. you ever been praying and had about four, five, six minutes where you just sat there and a solemn spirit and didn't have a whole lot to say, but you knew you were in the presence of your God. You're walking with God. You are communing with God. You are sharing and experience. By the way, some good advice we were given about dating was don't just sit around and talk. Alright, I'm going to relate this into the message here in a moment. Do things together. Make memories together. They would tell us guys, when you ask a girl on a date, take her, go bowling. Take her Play a game. Uh, play a board game. Uh, come up with something creative. Do something with them. That way that you, uh, both of you have memories to hang your hat on that you did things together. If all you do is sit around and talk, boy, that, uh, that there's not a whole lot there to hang your hat on with a memory. Listen, when you are walking with God, you are making memories with God. Uh, you ought to be able to think back through your Christian life at various locations and various places and various times where your prayer life, where you and God were extra special and He he spoke to you in an extra special way. He communed with you in a way that was extra, extra deep and uh, you developed those memories. Now, I'm not here today to make you feel guilty about the prayer life that many of you don't have. But I am here to say, why not in 2022 make it your goal to have a prayer life when January 2nd, 2023 arrives? Why not make it your goal that when you get to that point, wherever your prayer life is right now, boy, it will be elevated to a whole another plane. Turn over to the 63rd Psalm with me. You were in 84. Turn over just a handful of pages to the left to Psalm 63. David had a passion about God, but David also had a strong prayer life. And boy, we read many of the prayers that David prayed Throughout the book of Psalm, and let's look at the sixty-third Psalm. We're going to look at the first seven verses, then we'll skip down and read a couple more verses in the chapter. Notice here David's uh, David's longing for God in verses one and two. We see David's longing for God. Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy Power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David longed for God. It said, early will I seek thee. David would wake up early every morning just for the purpose of walking with God. We see that David uh, David's longing for God in verses 1 and 2. In verse 3, we see God's loving kindness for David. Look there. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall... Praise Thee. In verses 4 and 5, we see David's commitment to laud God or worship God. Look at verse 4. Thus will I bless Thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in Thy name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise Thee with joyful lips. David said, sometimes while I'm praying, I just have to put my hands in the air. And I just have to look up to my God in heaven. I'm so overwhelmed by His love I'm so overwhelmed by His grace and loving kindness and mercy in my life. I have to put my hands in the air and I have to stop what I'm doing. I have to stop what I'm praying and I just have to take five to ten minutes and worship God and sing to God and praise to God for how loving kind, His loving kindness and His goodness in my life. David said, not only uh, do I long for God, not only do I uh, sense God's love for me, but David said, I laud God, I worship God. Then we see in verses 6 and 7, we see that David is madly in love with God. Look at verse 6, When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. In verse 1, we see that David wakes up early in the morning praying to God. In verse 6 and 7, we see that David goes to bed at night meditating and thinking about God. He's in constant communication, constant communion. He's walking with God. His life is a life of walking with God. I think back, I think back to um, uh, the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And I think why God put Adam and Eve in that garden and every day God would come down in the cool of the day. And what would He do? He would walk with the couple. He would walk with the couple. He would commune with the couple. And what did sin do? Sin came along and it broke off that, that human to God. That human divinity interaction of that walking through the garden together. Their walk was hampered. Their walk was limited, And here is the truth that I want to draw out here this morning. Many of us struggle with having a prayer life that is consistent and rich and real and on the level of David because we have sin in our life that is pinching off that walk with God. There are things in our heart. There are things that are taking up real estate in our heart that belongs to God. And if we would take that real estate and we will learn how to give it back over to God, boy, that prayer life would become more and more and more natural. This year, 2022, we're going to spend a series of sermons looking at this idea of my prayer life. and We're going to give you some tools and some ideas of how to better pray and walk with God. Letter A, we see my passions. Letter B, my prayer life. Letter C, notice my progress. My progress. All right, take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter number 1. Psalm chapter number... One. The ladies' class went over Psalm 1 today. How do I know that? Because my wife is teaching the ladies' class. And so um, she shared with me her notes, but I did not share with her my notes. So Psalm 1, and uh, I'm going to maybe uh, glean a little bit off of what she covered in class today. Psalm chapter 1, we're going to look at my progress. Listen, uh, it ought to be that if you have a heart for God and you have a walk with God, that you ought to be able to turn around and look behind you and see where you were and where you've walked to where you were and where you've walked to. You see, if I'm walking, that means I'm going somewhere. If I'm walking with God, I'm heading toward a destination. I'm on a journey and I ought to be able to turn around occasionally and see that's where I was 12 months ago and 24 months ago and 48 months ago and 72 months ago. And this is where I am today. My walk with God is rich and real. I am making progress look at psalm 1 and let's read the entire psalm here then i'll say some comments till the very end of the reading look here blessed is the man that walketh not and the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Read verse 2 with me. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of waters, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous together verse 6 for the lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish now one of the truths that was brought out of in the ladies class today was that the righteous are like a tree and the wicked are like the chaff the righteous are like a tree they grow they're planted they're solid they don't go anywhere the wicked are just that covering around a kernel of weed. And, and, and listen, once the weed has been separated from the chaff, the chaff has no purpose. The chaff just, uh, just, just flutters and falls wherever it may. And many, many people are more like the chaff than they are like a tree. I don't know about you, I don't want to be chaff that blows around. I blow into church, I blow out of church. I blow into reading my Bible, I blow out of reading my Bible. I blow into a prayer life, I blow out of a prayer life. I blow into Great Commission Saturday, I blow out of Great Commission Saturday. I'm in for a little while with the Lord, and I'm out for a little while with the Lord. No, I want to be a tree that's planted and producing for the Lord. I want to see progress in my Christian life. I really think that a lot of people, they are like that chaff, and they know they want to do right. They know they want to live for the Lord, but what happens is they're blown around and they're blown around and finally they just up their hands and they say, I give up. Boy, don't be that person. Don't be that person. Uh, the, 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 the key thought of Psalm 1 about the tree is not the fruit of the tree. It's the placement of the tree. It's the foundation of the tree. It's where the tree is planted. Where is the tree of Psalm 1 planted? It's planted by the rivers of water. There is a natural flow of nutrients that go right by it. And what are those nutrients? It's a walk with God. And who is the living water we find in John? It's Jesus Christ. You see, when you plant your life by the Lord Jesus Christ, there are those spiritual nutrients to make sure that you are there for a lifetime, that you're growing consistently, that you are in love God. With God. Now, what are the stages of a tree? This is very important, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say. In fact, if you're able to write these stages down, all right, Uh, there there are. I I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six stages of a tree, and I think there's a seventh stage, but for the sake of the message, we'll give you the first six. All right. There is the planting. There is the planting. The planting happens uh, uh, when you are young in the Lord. All right. You make the decision that you're going to plant yourself. In uh, by the river of water, you're going to take that and you're going to put that seed and you're going to grow. the Lord, by the way, if you're saved, the seed has been planted. All right. The second stage is the seedling, the seedling stage. This is much, uh, this is much of the under the soil development. Brother Owens is teaching a life group this quarter entitled "Build Below the Baseline." We go and we look at a. a, a, a A tower, right? A skyscraper. If you've ever done like I do, I've been in Chicago and New York both respectively and I've stood at the base of the Sears Tower and the Empire State Building and I've done this right here. And you can't bend back far enough to actually see the top. You know what I'm talking about? I feel like I'm ready to play limbo when I'm done. I'm just so far back. And you know, you see this massive building above the ground, but what you don't see is how far down the foundation goes. For that building to be so tall. Listen, if you've just gotten saved a short time ago. And you're still young in the Lord. You have planted yourself by the river of water. Put a check mark that uh, by that. Great job. Right now, you don't need to be so much concerned about the fruit you produce for the Lord. What you need to be concerned about is putting down roots that are deep. That seedling. How do you do that? You develop a walk with God in private before you develop a work for God in public. Learn to develop a walk with God in private before you worry about being seen of men in public. I'm going to group these next three stages of a tree together. You have uh, the sprouts, sapling, and young tree. Sprouts, sapling, and young tree. I feel like I'm naming off like a Boy Scout, Girl Scout club group there, right? Sprouts, um, let's see, sprouts, sapling, and young tree. All of these, for the sake of my message this morning, all three of these developmental points are for a tree that is showing life above ground, but they're not yet ready to put off its own fruit. These are the developmental or formative years. The developmental... Or formative years. Listen, I, my quick application here is: if you've been saved for a short time, you've been saved for five years or less. At this point, don't be so much concerned about uh, 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 your production and what you can put out and uh, how uh, great you are at uh, uh, letting the fruits of the Spirit be displayed in your life and how many people you're seeing saved and how many people are coming to church because of you. Listen, uh, invite people to church and work on being patient. All that stuff is great. But right now what you need to worry about is walking with God, going to church, being consistent, serving where you can and, 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 and persevering through until you get to this last stage and that is that of a mature tree, a mature tree. Now it's time for the tree to put off fruit. This is the purpose of the tree. How many understand the purpose of a tree is to produce fruit? You all understand that this morning? That's an obvious statement, is it not? might be the most obvious statement I'll make in the history of obvious statements. The purpose of a tree is to produce fruit. Remember Jesus, he came upon the fig tree looking for figs. and There weren't any figs there and he cursed the tree. They came back a short time later, and the tree was dead and withered up. The disciples were like, wow, that was fast. I think there are a lot of Christians who have really pretty leaves. They're decorated very nice. They look the part. They know all the lingo. They know how to carry their Bible. They know how to pray flowery prayers in church or class. But they're not putting off any fruit. And they haven't for years, if ever. And listen, if we are to have a heart for God, if we're going to make progress in our walk with God, at some point we have to grow to the place where we're producing fruit for the Lord. What does a walk with God bring about? It brings about point number two my work for God my work for God you see many folks believe all I have to do is walk with God I was put here on planet earth to walk with God. And I'm saved and I'm walking with God. And that's good enough. I read my Bible, I pray, and I sit on a church pew. I take up my 18 inches. Hopefully uh, it's 18 inches. Amen? Uh, I think these chairs are 18 inches. But we, I take up my 18 inches and, and, I, and I and I do my part. And, and I'm walking with God. And that's good enough, my friend. No, you walk with God long enough. Eventually, God expects you to get to work for Him. Uh, and we're going to look at three series of sermons on this idea of my work for God, And so it will be my walk with God and then a series on my work for God. And then back to my walk with God and then a series of sermons on my work for God. What will be, we be looking at in 2022 as we talk about my work for God? Well, the first thought, letter A below that, are, is our motivation to work for God. Notice letter A, His compassion. His compassion. Turn over to the 86th Psalm with me. Psalm chapter number 86. Psalm 86. And look with me at verse number 1. Psalm 86 and verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 7 this morning. Look here. It says, Bow down, thine ear." When I pause, I want you to read the next word or two with me. Ready? Here we go. Bow down, thine ear, O Lord. Ready? Hear me. Hear me. For I am poor and needy. That next word, Preserve my soul. For I am holy, O thou my God. Save thy servant that trusteth Thee. Next two words, be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily, rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, for thou art, next word, good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble will I call upon thee, finish out the verse with me, for thou wilt answer me. Isn't that a God who's compassionate toward us? Boy, we see here that He hears us. He preserves our soul. He saves His servant. He's merciful. Uh, Down in verse 5, it says He's good. He's ready to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy. And He's a God who answers our prayers. This is a God who is worth serving. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. But Thou, O Lord, are a God full of... Next word? Compassion. And? Next word? Long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Uh, uh, Verse 16. O turn unto me. uh, Next phrase here. And have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, Lord, finish out the verse with me, has hope in me and comforted me. Why is it that David would give his heart to God? So many people are super fanatical about so many different things, and oftentimes I wonder why. I mentioned sports a little bit ago. Many, 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 many people in our culture are drunk on sports, drunk on it. And I just want to ask this question to each of you here today. What has a favorite sports team ever done for me or you? Ever. Other than take your money, your time, and break your heart. And yes, I'm speaking to you Jets fans. Amen? J e t. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, back on track. Um, people spend big money on sports. I'm talking about buying cable packages and and hundreds of dollars on uh, PSLs, which are uh, just the license for you to even be able to have a ticket to sit in a, a, a seasoned seat at a sports game. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Sometimes when we get to games like the Super Bowl, I believe the Patriots played uh, the, the the Buccaneers this year up in uh, uh, up in uh, Boston or near Boston and. At Gillette Stadium, and it was the first time Tom Brady had come back. And uh, by the time the tickets finished selling, it was in the tens of thousands of dollars for a nosebleed ticket for a three-hour event. Look, the world can pick on me all day about loving God and being a fanatical about God. I ain't painting my chest purple and sitting in a seat. That's weird. But people spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for something that doesn't equate to anything. Anything. You're going to get to heaven one day and stand before God, and God's going to say, hey, how come you had a problem being faithful to church on Sunday nights? And you're going to look at him and say, what? I was busy watching a team throw a pigskin around a field? For what? You know, in a thousand years, really in ten years, no one's going to care who won the Super Bowl this year. Who here can tell me the winner of the Super Bowl 22 years ago? 37 years ago. It was the biggest deal in the world when it happened. But today, no one can even tell me who it was. Most people can't tell me who it was. How about music or movie stars? What has a music or movie star ever done for you? Ever. You think if you were in the hospital, a music or movie star would come visit you? I can tell you right now the answer is no. But they'll take your money as you buy their music off of iTunes or the Google Play Store. They'll take your time and attention and affection. They'll suck up hours of your time while you read celebrity gossip on your favorite news feed. They'll take your heart and your morality with it. Americans spend millions and millions of dollars every year watching and attending sinful events put on by music stars and movie stars. When we get to heaven one day, God's going to say, why didn't I have your heart? And the answer is going to be, well, I was too busy working for the world. I was too busy falling in love with somebody and someone that hated you. Now, hear me out. There are causes and there are people that are kind, our direction. And they do, and with good reason, earn our loyalties. They earn our loyalties. But no matter who it is and what they've done, they should not have more of your heart than the God who sent His Son to the cross to die for you. Jesus Christ should have the number one place in your heart. Why was David so fanatical about God? Why is it that David would give his heart to God? I think we get a glimpse of that answer in Psalm 8 when David said this, "...when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained." What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? David's sitting there under a tree with a sheep in front of him, watching the sheep. He's looking up at the sky on a dark night. He sees all of the stars and the constellations. He looks out and he sees the, the, the greatness of the world. And he says, God, when I look up and I see how big you are and how powerful you are, it is a miracle that you love me. And David says, if you can love me, and you're so much bigger and better and stronger than I am, then the least I can do is love you back. Oh, why is it that we are to love God? Why is it that we are to give Him our heart? Why is it that we walk with Him? Why is it that we work for Him? We work for God because our God is a God of compassion. And He pours out that compassion on us each and every day. Oh, if you're like me, sometimes I'm having a bad day and I'm I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm upset and I'm edgy and I'm angry and and I'm ready to just lose my mind on whoever or whatever gets in front of me and I have to stop and I have to remember that while my expectations at the moment may not be getting met, I have a God who intimately and passionately each day pours out His blessings on top of me. Boy, He deserves our worship. He deserves our work. He deserves our everything. Why do we work for God? What is the motive? Oh, because his compassions fell not. They're new. Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Letter A, we see his compassion. Letter B notice his calling, his calling. Uh, take your Bibles over to first Samuel chapter sixteen. First Samuel sixteen with me, and look at verse number eleven. We're going and listen, this this point right here may just be a light bulb moment for someone in the room. And I hope it is. I hope it's a light bulb moment for many of us in the room. I know for me, when I was studying uh, this for this sermon, this was a light bulb moment for me. And I've been reading about the life of David quite a bit in my personal devotions the last several months and in preparation for uh, this, uh, this year. And um, uh, one of the things that dawned on me when I put First Samuel 16 and Acts, uh, Acts number uh, 13, verse 22 together was this right here. And it was how David was called to serve God. Look at First Samuel 16. And look at verse number eleven. The Bible says, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he will not sit down, we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly look, uh, look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is He, then Samuel, took the horn of oil and appointed or anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, here's uh, the story right? Uh, Saul has disqualified himself from being king and a new king needs to be selected and so God tells the prophet Samuel go to the house of Jesse and when you get there I'm going to show you which of his sons you are to anoint. And so uh, uh, Samuel comes into the house of Jesse and the sons come forth and obviously the oldest is going to come forth first. He's the oldest he's the most polished, he's the most well put together and God says to uh, Samuel he says nope not him he looks real good on the outside, but I see his heart. Man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. And so the second comes, and the third comes, and all of the sons of Jesse come before him, and God says, none of these are it. And Samuel's scratching his head, and he's like, "Then, then it, did I come to the wrong, do I have the right address? Jesse, do you have any more boys? And to show you what Jesse thought of David, he didn't even bring him in. He left him in the field with the sheep. And he said, well, there is one more, but yeah, you probably don't want to talk to him. No, go get him. We're not even going to sit down. We're not going to break bread. We're not doing anything until you get him. And so a servant boy is sent to get David. David's brought in and God says, that is the guy. Now, I have thought about this much as a child growing up through church. Why David? Right? I mean, David was, was it just like, you know, Picking a a name out of a hat and God says, okay, let's see here. Okay, you know what? I want you to go see Jesse. It's going to be David. Why did God call David to do his work? Why does God call any of us to do his work? The answer is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Look at Acts 13 and verse 22. Acts 13 and verse 22. Some of you here don't know what God's calling on your life is. You're lost. You're confused. You don't know what it is God wants you to do specifically for His work. And God does have a specific work for you. But God's waiting on you before He'll call you to it. Look at verse 22. And when He had removed him, speaking of Saul, He raised up unto them David to be their king. Here is why God chose David. To whom also He gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Why did God call David? Because David was in hot pursuit of God's heart. It wasn't because David was something special. It wasn't because David had some special set of talents or skills. It wasn't because God just randomly chose a name out of a hat. God looked across the earth and He said, that young man right there is madly in love with me. That young man right there wants to serve me. That male young man right there, he may not have it all together. He may be the youngest in his family. There's no polish on that boy. But that boy right there, deep down in his heart, loves me. I'm calling him to be the next king of Israel. You know, maybe God would call more of us to do His work if more of us would give the Lord our heart. I think oftentimes why God doesn't call people to the mission field and call young people into church work and call people to go soul winning and call people, fill in the blank, is because our hearts are just cold toward the Lord. Cold toward the Lord. And When our heart is not given to God, why would God call us to do His work? I want all of you to look at me this morning, and I want to ask you a very, very pointed question. Does God have your heart? Are you in love with God? I mean, does He have all of it? You see, you sit there and say, well, God's not speaking to me. It's not God's fault He's not speaking to you. It's your fault. You're not walking with Him. You don't love Him. You don't love Him like you ought to. He's not your everything. Because when God is your everything, boy, He's got, he's got a special work for you. He's going to call you to it. You see, we cannot do the specific work for God that He has lined, lined up for us until we first give Him our heart and we fall in love with Him. We see His compassions. Letter B, His calling. Letter C, lastly, let's finish the sermon with this, His coming. Is coming. Turn over to Psalm chapter 132 with me. Psalm 132. And then we're going to finish the sermon in the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter number 22. Psalm 132. And then Revelation 22. I'll give you just a moment to find your way to those two places. Is coming. One day. The son of David. Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back to get us. He's coming back. And he's going to hold us accountable. For how we loved him. How we loved him. Psalm 132, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 10. Join me if you would in verse number 10. The Bible says, For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of the body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children also, uh, their, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. Jesus Christ is known as the Son of David. Is the Son of David. How much did David love God? So much so that Jesus is willing to say when he was born on earth, yes, I am the son of Judah, and yes, I am the son of Adam, but listen, uh, my royalty line, I fall under this reign. I am the son of David, the man that followed me after his, after mine own heart. He loved me with his whole whole heart. Look back at Revelation, or turn over rather to Revelation 22 in verse number 12. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back And he's going to sit on his throne. And those of us that will rule with him are those of us who have loved him and have been uh, saved by him. Look at Revelation 22 and look at verse number 12. Jesus says this about the rapture. He says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end the first and the last. I had a conversation with a church member yesterday. We were talking about 2022 and what awaits us. and I said to this church member, I said, I believe that Jesus very well may come back this calendar year. I really do. I look at the current events on planet Earth. Yes. I see where technology has developed and where it is growing. I, I think we're approaching a Tower of Babel type moment with our technology where God's going to need to step in and do something where man and machine are beginning to meld. Uh, I look at the reports and all of the major news uh, media uh, coverage of, of, of UFOs and unidentified flying objects and otherworldly, and I see a perfect cover story for the rapture and us being carried out of here and them saying, see, we told you there were aliens. See, we told you there was I see all of the, all of everything lining up uh, in place, and, and if Jesus doesn't come back this calendar year, I believe in the next handful of years. This is my opinion that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and He's going to carry us out of here. And those of us that are saved, First Thessalonians says that we will be taken out of here in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. The trumpet's going to sound. Uh, we're going to hear, "Come up hither," and all of us that have put our faith in Christ will be. We'll be out of here. It's going to be a great day. Now, Revelation chapter 20. Don't close your Bibles. We've got one more passage to read there. Revelation twenty, 22 tells us that when he comes back, he's going to have his rewards in his hands. I sure hope when Jesus comes back, he finds this of me. He finds me walking with him and working for him. I hope he finds me madly in love with him. You know, I think some people, they're going to get to heaven one day. They're going to be called before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a terrifying moment. And I don't mean terrifying because He is holy and and, and all that. I mean it's going to be terrifying because of the guilt. The guilt that will hang in our heart of how we wasted our life and did not serve God the way we should have. I just want to ask a question to each of you this morning. I want all of you to think about this. If Jesus were to come back in the next 24 hours and you knew it, would you be excited by that or would you be scared by that? Would you think, oh, I can't wait to see the face of my Savior? Would you think to yourself, oh man, I've been so backslidden and away from the Lord? I need some time to get some things right before God. You see, he's coming and he's bringing his rewards with him. Look down with me at verse number 16. Jesus says here, He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things. In the churches, look who He identifies Himself with. I am the root and the offspring of who? David. David. Who did Jesus tie himself to in the last chapter of the Bible? The man who sought him with his whole heart. The man who loved him with his whole heart. This calendar year, I want each of us to fall in love deeper and deeper with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want his passions to become our passions. I want his heartbeat to become our heartbeat. Boy, let's let God look down at those who call White Oak Baptist Church their church home. Let's let God look down in this room right here and see a group of people who are in hot pursuit of God's heart, who want to love Him with their whole heart. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. A heart for God. A heart for God. Christian, do you have a heart For God? Have trivial things, temporal things that don't matter, cluttered up your heart and taken away the space, the real estate that God wants? Are you in love with God the way you once were when you first got saved? Or has your heart grown cold and aloof? Maybe God isn't calling you to a work because. Your heart has grown cold toward God and He can't call you to a work. Boy, we need to get back to walking with God. Walking with God. Walking with God. Communing with our God so that He can call us to His work. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, in 2022, I want to make a commitment that God will have my heart, that I will fall in love on a whole other plane with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor, here's my hand. Would you pray that God would help me to do that this calendar year? I want to fall in love on a whole other level with my Lord. Listen, this calendar year, if you're going to do that, there's going to have to be some changes made. There's going to have to be some things that go. There's going to have to be some reprioritization within your heart. My prayer is that this year you'll do that. You'll be committed to the work necessary. Lord, this morning I pray you move in each of our hearts. May we love you. May we love you more and more. May we give our hearts to you. Work in this invitation right now. I think back to the passage we read at the beginning of the sermon where David longed for the altar of the Lord. He longed to be at the altar of the Lord, praising the Lord. And as we open the altar here in a moment, may we come and lay down our sacrifice of praise. May we give you our heartbeat, our heart this morning. May we decide... Over the next several months, we're going to make the changes to be madly in love with you and have a heart for you. In Jesus' name.